So James 1, 21, we've already read the scripture once, but let's just review it again so that we know fresh in our minds and hearts what the Bible is saying here. James says this, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We've taken a two-week break from James to talk about one of our core values, the call to go. What does it mean to reach unreached people groups? So two weeks ago, um, Luke Humphrey, one of our former residents who serves in the Middle East, and then Nate Irwin brought the word, just to remind us that there are still three billion people who if something significant isn't done, will never hear the name of Jesus. Unreached peoples are unreached for a reason. They're hard to get to. Sometimes they don't even want us there. 97% of them live within the 1040 window. And it's important for us to keep that focus, which is why we take two weeks out of the year to really remind us about the importance of that mission. I was doing a little bit of research this week, and you know, Halloween was last night, and I found an interesting statistic that says that Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than reaching unreached people groups. Now, no shade if you dressed up your dog last night, okay? It's okay, I know you didn't know that was gonna be a sermon illustration this morning. But the fact of the matter is, is there's just a prioritization issue for how we think about reaching people with the gospel. So today we're in James 1:21. It follows this idea of what it means to be slow to speak, uh, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And James continues the thought from verses 19 and 20 now into verse 21, and he's building on what do we do if we begin to see some victory in how we speak and in how we deal with our anger. So maybe two weeks ago when I talked about anger, you found ways to incorporate that idea of stop, think, and seek. And, and maybe there's been a little bit of victory in your life and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm actually finding myself um, a little more cognizant of my words and I'm finding myself winning the battle with anger and James would say, good job, but don't be content with that. Don't be content with, hey, I didn't blow up and didn't throw up on somebody this week, okay? James wants you to go further and deeper and so today what we're gonna talk about is kind of some basics of what does it mean to grow spiritually? Or um, think of it this way, three exhortations today for steadfast spiritual growth. One of the challenges in the midst of some hardship or difficulty is it intensifies our spiritual growth. And remember, James is writing to a group of Christians who are facing some level of persecution, difficulty, hardship, and his goal is to how to help them be steadfast in their joy in following Jesus. And so today what we're gonna look at are three particular exhortations that come out of this text, and you can think of them as sort of some basic elements of how you follow Jesus, particularly when life is really hard. And the text helps us to see that there's something to reject something to receive, and something to remember. So for your benefit, tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, think about reject, receive, and remember. Now, you may be listening and you're not yet a Christian, and I want you to know that what I'm about to share with you will help you understand, maybe even convince you, oh, I hope so, that following Jesus is a better path than trying to follow your own devices and follow your own heart. I hope to be able to show you today what that looks like and what it means even to become a Christian. So something to reject, something to receive, and something to remember. So number one, something to reject. 
Verse 21 says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So the first thing that we see here is a command to stop doing certain things. I mean, it shouldn't surprise you that to be a Christian means that there's certain things that you shouldn't do. The problem, though, is that some people and some even religious systems, some even within Christianity, make all of what it means to follow Jesus as overly simple as I don't do this or that. Maybe you grew up in a church like that, a church that sort of had this list of what things you're not to do. And as long as you didn't do those things, man, you were good, right? Didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this, didn't do that. And sort of out of this sort of fundamentalism movement came this definition of real Christians don't do these things. In fact, my last church was kind of in that tradition. And one of the things I tried to help them with, and by God's grace, we grew in this, but we all need to grow in this, is this mindset that can so easily take a hold of us, which is to be known more for what we're against than what we're for. Now let me be clear, you need to be against things. You can't just be all for everything and not against everything. But the problem is, is that some people reduce Christianity to a series of what we're against, what we don't like and what we think we shouldn't do. The challenge is, is that there needs to be an appropriate level of balance. On the other hand, some of us came out of that movement, so we swung way to the other side, and so it's not that we think that being against something is wrong necessarily, but we don't wanna hear about that. We just wanna hear all of what we're for and what we're gonna do that's positive. And the trick in following Jesus, especially when it's hard, is finding the beautiful balance of knowing how to reject and also how to receive and doing both at the same time. So you can think of being a follower of Jesus as I'm rejecting and receiving, I'm rejecting and receiving. Every day, waking up, rejecting and receiving. What do I need to reject today? What do I need to receive? So when James begins, he uses the word therefore. Why is this word here? That's an important question that you ought always to ask when you see the word therefore in the Bible. It's a word that denotes a connection or an implication that's about to follow. Well, what did we see before verse 21? Newsflash, we saw verse 20. So it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, so in light of this command that James makes regarding how we're to speak, how we're to deal with anger, he wants us to press on further. He wants us to take some steps and not be content with just not embracing the most obvious sin issues. So if you've won some victories in the last six months with talking sinfully less or being less angry, James would encourage you, would exhort you to not be satisfied with that, but instead to keep going. There's more to pursue. That, that sinful talking and explosive anger when you defeat them are just the start and they kind of open a door for continued exploration of what it means to be righteous. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That little word, put away, is really important. Other translations render this as get rid of. That's how the NIV puts it. Or the CSB says, ridding yourself of. The challenge is, is that the, the word in the original language is in a particular tense that would indicate that it's something that is either already accomplished, something that the reality of it in the moment is clear, or something that doesn't 
fit with something else. So the reason that's important is because what James is saying here is not just to put away all filthiness and put away rampant wickedness. What he's saying is filthiness and rampant wickedness doesn't fit with who you are in Christ. That's what he's saying. He's not just saying don't do these things because they're wrong. He's saying don't do these things because they don't fit who you are. Be like having a dirty pair of jeans on. And a friend says, hey man, you know you like a big spot on those jeans. You would understand intuitively that to have a big spot on your jeans means that normally you wouldn't wear those. So you'd take them off, change your clothes. So the idea is you're taking something off that doesn't fit, something that doesn't seem to be appropriate. You, you can think of it as a parent telling a child, hey, you have something on your face. Well, imagine you tell a friend, hey man, you have like a... Um, piece of food on your face, and they're like, I know. <laughs> and you're like, well, aren't you gonna, no, I like it there. And you're like, I just wouldn't do that. That's, so it's the fact that that isn't, like what you would, you wouldn't think that's what you would want, because it doesn't reflect sort of normative behavior. Or I've used this illustration before, I don't have any other way to help you understand this well, except this one. When I played basketball, I moved from being a point guard to a post player and did so very quickly because I had a growth spurt during my sophomore year of high school. So I was one of the shortest guys in my class, was one of my tallest guys in my class, and that happened like in 18 months. It hurt bad, hurt bad, bad, bad. It also made my pants really short too. That's another problem. So the problem was though, when I played in the post, I still thought like a point guard. So I complained about getting fouled all the time. That's the point, no. Um, so I played in the post and my, my coach would say to me, Mark, you're 6'5", be 6'5", be 6'5". He wasn't telling me to grow into something. He wasn't telling me to increase my height. He was telling me to have the mindset that reflected the reality of who I was. That's the idea here. In fact, we see this in other texts. This isn't just in James, this is true in other places. Ephesians 4, put off your old self. So the idea is that's not who you are anymore, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Like all those things are already true. Paul is just saying embrace the fact that this is who you are. Or Colossians 3, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So the, the idea here is to be who you are. The Christian life then is one essentially of regularly putting off the wrong things in order to put on the right things. Another example, Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. So the idea and what it means to be a Christian is that because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm to put off certain things while putting on other things. This is really important if you're listening to this sermon and you're not yet a Christian. You need to know that to become a follower of Jesus means that two things suddenly become unbelievably powerful in your life. The first is you realize, I'm headed down the wrong path. <laughs> like, 
Like I, I'm in trouble. And you come to the realization of that because you know your heart is set on the wrong thing. Sometimes it's like job change after job change and you're just like, I keep running into problems or it's one relationship after another or blown up marriage this, blown up marriage here or it's just all sorts of conflict and you look in the mirror and you're like, what in the world is wrong? And the Bible tells you what's wrong is what's in the mirror. And the Bible, the Bible loves you enough, Jesus loves you enough to tell you the problem is not just what you do, it's actually who you are. So when you wake up to that reality, then what do you do? Well, the Bible tells us that sin that is within you can only be taken care of by the person and work of Christ. And so you turn from your sin and you turn to Christ and in receiving Jesus, you're essentially saying to him, I believe in you, I know that you died for my sins, I want you to transform me from the inside out. And becoming a Christian means that you reject the old you and embrace what Jesus says about you. That's what it means to be a Christian. To those of you who are already Christians, you need to know that that thing that I just described to you happened when you came to faith in Christ, but it means that you continue to live that way for the rest of your life. In other words, listen to me, you never stop turning away from what remains of your practical wickedness. You never stop repenting. Wise people understand their continual need for more wisdom. The wisest people I know have this insatiable appetite to be even more wise. They know they never arrive. Or a humble person knows how unbelievably proud they are. And the crazy thing is, the more they understand about their humility and the more humble they become, the greater a sense of their own pride that they have. The humble person never arrives at a position where he or she says, yeah, I'm humble. They never arrive. In fact, the humble person, the more they understand their need for humility, the more they understand how deeply not humble they are. In the same way, following Jesus, success looks like not repenting less, but by repenting more. In other words, following Jesus doesn't mean, man, I'm, I, I, I'm really doing well. I didn't blow my stack. I didn't get angry. I didn't cheat on anybody this week. It means you get lower underneath. Well, great job, but there's other things to pursue. And what James wants us to do here is to consider what remains of that wickedness this rampant wickedness and this filthiness. Now, what does that look like? Well, you know the word wickedness there? It essentially means the desire to injure, harm, or cause suffering on another person. It basically means you're selfish. And what James is saying is that selfishness is rampant and what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to continually reject that selfishness, but trying to figure out where that selfishness remains, which is why he says, put away all filthiness. Basically means a violation of loving one's neighbor as yourself. So we're to reject this rampant wickedness and we're to put away all filthiness. So something for you to think about this week, if you're a follower of Jesus, is, is in what ways do you need to put off areas of just deep-seated self-centeredness? Have you thought about how self-centered you are this week? Or does following Jesus for you mean, I don't ever think about being self-centered anymore, I just think about Jesus. You can't do that. You think about Jesus, and in thinking about Jesus, you realize 
how self-centered I really am. Now, some of you, when I say that, you immediately go to a place of guilt. And guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt helps us to be awakened to our need for change, but guilt's a bad motivator. Instead, we're to be motivated by God's grace, which is one of the reasons why I think James puts this here. How, how so God's grace? Because what happens is when we see the ways in which Jesus helps us to change, there's a desire for more of that. Like you change in one area and you're like, I want that kind of change to go all over my life. So you change in one area and you begin to see the beauty of God's grace. You want that not only to be extended to other people, but man, you want that in every arena of your life. Like you become passionate about godliness and righteousness, not because you have to or because you're guilty, but because the more you repent of your sin, the more you receive the beauty of God's grace. And so rejecting things for you is not a measure of your righteousness or some sort of standard of what real Christians do. No, 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 no. Repentance is a door that opens wide the floodgates of what it means for you to run to Jesus. You become motivated by God's grace. Like, I want the Bible. I want Jesus. I want the word. I want the spirit to be applied in this area and this area and this area and this area so that now following Jesus is not something that you have to do. It's something you want to do. Some of you are so motivated by guilt Literally reading your Bible, coming to church, listening to a sermon, it's, it's, it's like a burden. And part of the reason it may be a burden is because you've not actually gone deep into a particular area of sin in your life and you've pursued it and you've seen what happens when you put Jesus in the mix and you've seen, you haven't seen in a while the beauty of what happens when Jesus takes over. You know, one of the things that COVID and all of the challenges of the season has presented is sometimes God gives us an inkling of what we ought to pursue in terms of repentance, and sometimes he just shows us whether or not we wanna see it. Somebody asked me recently, what's it like to pastor during these days? And my answer is, well, if you're passionate about seeing how sinful we all are, it's a pretty good time to be a pastor. <laughs> so you could see that negatively, I mean, if you see the way that your kids are, you see the way you are, see the way that your spouse is, see the way that your friends are, see the way that other women are, other men are, like you see it, you can either see that as, oh my word, what a mess, or you can see it as, what an opportunity for God's grace. So Christianity begins with deciding what we need to reject, what we need to reject. Here's the second thing. It also relates to what we need to receive. He says, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. So this dynamic of reject, receive is really, really important. I think it's just the one, two step of what it means to be a Christian. I reject one thing, I receive God's grace. I reject sin, receive God's grace. And hopefully that will be helpful to you this week as you just think about what it means to try and follow Jesus in a really challenging and hard time. It's as challenging and as simple as what do I need to reject today and what do I need to receive? Well, what does James tell us to receive? He says, receive the implanted word. What does he mean, the word? Well, he means the Bible. He means the revelation of God to mankind. He means that God, by his spirit, has told us what he is like and told us what we are like. Can I just remind you how important the Bible is for your life? Romans 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
2 Timothy 3 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and the training in righteousness. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 2 Timothy 4.2, be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Psalm 119.107, oh how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Look in your Bibles at James 1.18. James just talked about the word. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he brings us forth by the word of truth. But he says it's implanted. What does he mean implanted? Here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean like you have this truth in you, like it's your truth. Like I, you, you speak your truth, I'll speak my truth. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is the way in which God by his spirit miraculously causes his word to land on a heart ready to receive it. It's as though God has secretly planted his word in your heart so that when you hear it, there is a receptivity and a response to it that you know would not have been something that you could have created. It's the kind of thing where you, you hear a sermon or you hear the lyrics of a song that are, are, are filled with biblical truth and it lands on your heart and when you hear it, you think, oh, that's true. And the caution that I would have for you is when that happens, be reminded that God was the one who caused that to happen. If it was up to you and you all by yourself, it would go in one ear and out the other. It is a miracle of God's invasive grace that when the word of God comes to us and it is received in our hearts, that God is the one who has caused that implanted word to actually bear fruit. It means that God changes the disposition of the heart of a Christian that when the word of God lands on your soul, it lands differently. Just think of that. Any time that a Christian understands anything, it's only because of the kindness and the grace of God. So can I just encourage you to add rejoicing into your reading of the scriptures this week? When you open the Bible, some of you may need to do what I did this week, which was I had my Bible like this. It was one of those dark, kind of cloudy, dreary mornings. Quite frankly, I had a lot to do. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to read the Bible. Is that okay to say in church? I didn't. I wanted to move on with my day. And I had to do something like this. Lord, this is your word. I know that I need it. And I need it more than I even know right now. So help me, please. And I opened up the scriptures. And there was like three words that landed on my soul it was so incredibly helpful. And when that happened, I was reminded, God loves me. He hears me. He helps me. And can I just remind you, when you hear the word and it lands on your heart and it creates something within you, a reminder that, wow, God's right here with me. You, you may be here and you're not yet a Christian and you have no idea what that is like, except maybe it's happening right now. 
maybe the reality of what I'm saying has created within you this curiosity of, wait a minute, I, I've never seen or heard or experienced that before. And it may very well be that God's pulling back the curtains of a heart that's been set on all the right things, all the wrong things, rather, excuse me, in order to help you realize your need. James says that we're to receive the word with meekness. What does that mean? It means to receive it with humility. It, it relates to your posture as it relates to the Bible. It relates to your posture as it relates to the hearing of the Bible. Can I just offer you a caution? One of the things that I know is true in my own life, in my mid to late 40s, having heard lots of sermons throughout my lifetime, that it can be easy to listen to preaching, not listening to the Bible. You could have, even with the just glut of information that's available, we've never had a generation that has had more access to more sermons than our generation, and you can end up loving preaching, or the kind of preaching, rather than actually loving the scriptures. And so maybe you need to have a heart posture that sounds something like this, Lord, I'm the biggest sinner that I know, I need your word today. Or, God, my heart can be so prone not to listen, help me to receive it. God, I'm ready to be shown where I'm wrong and respond to you. Or, God, I need the word for my soul today, God. For those of you that are worshiping at home, I mean, I know the, the challenge of even trying to maintain focus when you're watching a service and trying to worship through a screen. Find some way, lean in. Get out of your pajamas, right? Uh, Find some way to, to focus your mind and heart to say, look, this is important for my soul. We need to reject. We also need to receive. Here's the third thing we need to remember. James says that this word is able to save your souls. Now, when he uses the word save, James is not referring to salvation in the same way that Paul is in other parts of the New Testament. James is interested in the totality of what the word saved means. So it doesn't mean becoming a Christian alone. James means what you do with that Christianity once you've received it. So some people think that Paul and James are sort of antithetical to one another or the opposite of one another, but they're not. One commentator described them as two soldiers in the same battle, battling back to back. So they're, they're fighting in the same battle, but they're facing different enemies. Here's what James says in chapter two and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So James is particularly interested not only in what you believe, but James wants to know if what you believe actually works. So James is particularly interested in the implication of your faith. He wants to know what your faith does because if the implication doesn't work, then it's likely that your faith isn't working. So he wants to see the two go together hand in glove. And what James is essentially saying here is that this means of receiving with meekness the implanted word is the means by which we are saved. 
Not the means by which you come to faith in Christ, but rather the means by which you are preserved all the way to the end. The way that you keep verifying over and over, I'm a legit follower of Jesus, I'm a legit follower of Jesus, I'm a legit follower of Jesus. James would have you realize that your faith in Jesus can't be just intellectual, it actually needs to produce something because Jesus came to take over, he didn't come just to get you into heaven. Jesus came to produce implications in your life that flow out of this life-transforming grace that he's placed into your heart and soul. And so this deep-seated confidence that we have both in the scriptures and in God's plan for us then helps us to know how we make it through every season. This is what Paul says to Timothy I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why would he tell him that? Because the preserving agent for people in season and out of season is their receiving the word, receiving the word, receiving the word. That's the thing that's gonna help them. It is the word of God that saves us. It's the word of God that reforms us. It's the word of God that creates repentance within us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to be reminded in the midst of all the pressures that we face in life, that more than anything else than we need, we need to receive with meekness this implanted word. So can I just remind you on this weekend before the election that more than a vaccine, more than your candidate in office, more than job security, more than anything else you need, what you need is that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has given you the commands that he wants us to have and they're found in the Bible. So can I just encourage you on Tuesday morning to wake up, go to a text like Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? And to be reminded that Jesus is on his throne. So you can vote, you can love your country, you can critique the country, you can have concerns and desires, all the while knowing my king is Jesus. I can be a good citizen here while also realizing the reality of who my Lord and Savior is. And then I can live life in such a way that I'm regularly following three key steps. I'm gonna reject what's wrong, I'm gonna receive what's right, and I'm going to remember that this is plan A for my life. I'm gonna reject wickedness, I'm gonna receive the implanted word and be reminded that this is the way that God grants me grace and hope. This is the way Christians have lived for centuries. Martin Luther, wrote, a mighty fortress is our God, facing deep difficulties. And verses three and four sound like this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. Why? For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word. Above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. (laughs) 
That is the message of the Bible. It's the way that Christians persevere. It's as complicated and as simple as this. Reject what remains of wickedness. Receive the implanted word with meekness because this is the way that God rescues his people. Rejecting wickedness, receiving the word, following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to renew within us a commitment to either reject the things that are wrong and to do it at a deeper level or to receive with new grace the beautiful word that you've given to us. Lord, even now help us to receive it. Help us to embrace the truths that you want us to hear. And Lord, even give us the conviction that we need, loving your grace and wanting to turn from that which doesn't fit us. So help us, Lord. And church, while we conclude this message, I want to give you a moment just to pray and see God's face. What is it that you need? Are there things that you need to reject and repent from today? Why not name them and tell God? Lord, selfishness is just killing me in these areas. Turn from that. And what about receiving the word? Or maybe you're here today, you're not yet a Christian. Why not make this very moment where you would say, Jesus, I get it. I know I'm a sinner. I need you to become my savior. Why not make today that day? We're gonna give you a moment before we sing together just to reflect and pray and talk to the Lord. In quietness and humility, let's just spend some time before we sing together.